We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey, Pacer Nation, what's going on? For all of you guys here in Indianapolis, Indiana, I want you to support local businesses. And one of the local businesses that I absolutely love is Smoke and Barrel Barbecue on 2316 South German Church Road. They've got brisket, rib tips, pulled pork, slab ribs, turkey, pork belly, mac and cheese, green beans, corn casserole, chicken slaw, and banana pudding. I mean, this is some of the best meat that I've ever had in my life. I mean, Mike and CJ McFarland do a fantastic job. It's over at Camp Sertoma, um, which is the same address that I gave you for 2316 South German Church Road. They are a huge supporter of setting the pace, so I just wanted to give them a shout-out. And if you guys are in that area, make sure you check them out. They've got terrific food, and I believe on Fridays they even do brisket tacos, which I've had, and they are absolutely amazing. So um, on today's episode, though, I'm going to be joined by Mark Schindler. We're going to talk a little bit about the Pacers' future salary implications with you know keeping Turner and keeping Oladipo, what that could look like, why they might want to move on from one of them for salary cap reasons. And, you know, we talk a little bit about Turner's trade value, what we think we would or what we would want in return. And, and same for Victor, just kind of trying to, like, understand everything. But I'm going to get out of the way and let you guys listen to my conversation with Mark Schindler. We'll be right back. Pacer Nation, what is going on? Welcome back to another episode of Setting the Pace. And joining me, it's almost like a weekly thing now, I feel like, uh, the one and only Mark Schindler. Mark, what's going on, man? Alex, I'm doing pretty well. How are you doing, man? Oh, I'm, do- I'm doing good, man. I, uh, you know, I'm recovering a little bit from getting body bagged on Twitter today. But other- <laughs> Yes, I, I reached out to you about that. I saw that. I, uh, I knew like right away. I think it, it helps because I know you, but I knew when you said interesting, you didn't mean good. You just meant, wow, I can't believe people think this. But yeah, yeah, you got like 
40 quote tweets on it. So that was, uh, that was, that was promising. Yeah. It's one of those things where it's like, uh, I saw the notifications on my phone. I'm like, what is this about? Like, what did I even post? Like I, um, I actually forgot that I posted that cause I did it during yeah. my lunch, went to work, came back on my break and I'm like, Oh my goodness, I'm getting roasted. Good news is I, you know, like Mark said, I did not agree with that trade. I did not, not like that trade. I just shared it because I thought it was interesting that someone posted that trade and like thought that was a good deal for them. Like share it was a great deal for the Mavericks and a great deal for the Pelicans. But like, it's always one of those things when you get three teams involved, it always feels like one team is almost like the, uh, you know, the dumping grounds for, for one and of those it's deals. Always Indiana. It yeah. Feels like almost always Indiana, Indiana, like, uh, Sacramento, yeah. like, you know, the teams that aren't like considered like top echelon, but like, so I guess like today, like we could talk about a few things here. I know one of the okay. main things we wanted to talk about was, um, you know, what are the Pacers plans going forward? I think we can start there and then kind of get into our trade ideas. But I, I think the thing that's most interesting to me, Mark, is like, we saw the stuff today from Zach Lowe about Victor Oladipo. We, mm-hmm. we know that there's possibilities that he could not come back. Who knows what's going to happen after this season. But I just, I'm kind of worried about the financial situation for the Pacers. And so we talked about this a little bit off air. I'm just, when you look at this team in the next couple of years, why are we paying so many guys so much money? We're not going to pay the tax. And is this core right now as orchestrated worth all this money that we're going to be paying them? Um, it's a good question. I think yes and no, um, which is a, you know, obviously a cop out, but I think it just kind of depends where you're at. Um, if Victor's healthy, like if this full team is around Victor and he's what he was in 17, 18, then I say yes. So I think that's a 55 win team that's pushing for a top three seed in the conference. Mm -hmm. Um, so a borderline contender, um, right now, I mean, it's murky. Like I, I think it, the, the biggest resounding thing we have on both of our podcasts and Tony with locked on um, it's just murky. You know, we really don't know what this team's doing uh, where they're at, obviously new coaching staff, well, I guess one coach and potentially Danny Manning is where we're at right now. So I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Um, but no, I mean, I think this team is in a good place uh, in terms of where they're going salary wise. They just have a couple things to figure out. I mean, when you really kind of boil it down, Domas is on a really good contract considering, you know, the season he just had. Um, I think he's getting underpaid for the majority of his contract. If he plays just even without any growth, if he plays the same way, I mean, I think we'll, the, the, the Pacers will have decently underpaid Sabonis for the majority of his contract. Um, Malcolm, I think he got a lot of heat for injuries and, and inconsistency due to injury. I still think he's a good contract. Um, TJ Warren, I mean, best value contract in the NBA potentially right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but I agree. I mean, like, it's something I was talking about. I, I think actually you and I were talking about this. Um, the Pacers are going to be a team, and we saw it in the 90s. We saw it in the early 2000s. They're a team where they're not going to have, uh, unless something drastic happens, they don't have a top 10 player. So you win by having a really deep roster uh, with all plus starters. You just don't really have a hole in your starting lineup. Um, I mean, you look at a team like the Lakers, they were starting uh, – Who I'm trying to think of somebody. Uh, they, I mean, like, they'd start Avery Bradley. And it's not like Avery Bradley's a bad player. But when you – if you put Avery Bradley on this Pacers team, he's probably a ninth man, uh, eighth or ninth man. So, like, I think in roles you can be a starter. But that, that's my point. The Pacers have uh, – there's six or seven guys on the team who could be starters and maybe a couple guys who could be starters elf, elsewhere if they were on, you know, a worse team or the, the rotation was different. 
Like the team has to be deep. And the problem with that, you have to pay out a lot of guys because they're all going to be paid, you know, pretty reasonably well. Cause there aren't a, like, like we just mentioned, there aren't really a lot of holes in the roster. I mean, you're paying guys one through eight on the roster right now, 7 million plus, which is I, like, I think Doug is just under the average NBA contract. I think the average NBA contract is like around like 11 or 12 million. I could be wrong on that, but um, I mean, I think uh, I'll, I'll turn it back over to you, but I think that's kind of how I see it right now. Well, yeah. And I mean, when I look at it, like we know Doug McDermott's expiring this year, TJ McConnell's expiring, TJ leaves expiring. So you do get off about around 15, 15 million right there. And, and, and of course, Victor's expiring at 21. So I mean, Without without Victor and all those guys on the books for 2021 2022, you're around 93 million, 96,851 dollars. So that's not like terrible at all. But you've only got like four or five guys on the or no, not that many. It's like nine nine guys on the roster, um, eight or nine guys on the roster with with your rookie contracts in uh, Holiday, Sumner, and Goga, and then you've got the extensions with uh, Sabonis and Turner and Brogdon. You know their contracts are pretty lengthy. Jeremy Lamb at 12, uh, 12.7 that year, uh, or no, that's, excuse me, TJ Warren at 12.7 and Jeremy Lamb at 10.5. So, you know, and we know Warren's going to be due for an extension. We know Oladipo's due for an extension. So if you factor in Oladipo's extension to that, and let's just say it's around 25 million, which was reported in Zach Lowe's article today, that puts the Pacers at about $118 million uh, for the salary cap, which really doesn't give them a lot of room to play with for their bench. So it's kind of one of those things where it's like, if they were to move on from a Turner or an Oladipo, to me, it kind of makes sense to not salary dump them, but maybe trade for like a, a, a pick or something. That way they can get a cheaper contract in there and then have a little bit more flexibility uh, moving forward because we know like the Pacers do not pay the tax whatsoever. And, and if they get close to it with this roster, like they're not going to go over that. So it's just like, they're going to have to figure out a way to, maybe cut salary somewhere because I think the TJ Warren extension is probably the most interesting thing. Uh, Word of the day for me right there. Interesting. (laughs) But I mean, it is, it is interesting because like, what is he going to demand? Is he going to get more than Domas? Like, huh, that's kind of tough because Domas is around what 18 and a half this coming season. So yeah, when, uh, when TJ comes up in 2022, Domas is going to be making uh, 19.8. So yeah. Yeah. Yeah, So that's kind of like, do we pay like Warren like uh three for 20 or three for 75 or I don't know. I mean, not three for 20, excuse me, three for 60, three for 25 or three for 65. Excuse me. I can't talk today. Um, <laughs> I feel that it's, it's been a day, but I'm just, I'm, I'm just thinking here, like how much per year do you think TJ Warren is worth? Uh, well, it's, it's, that's a good question. I mean, I think it's pretty clear Domas is a better player right now. Obviously he was the all-star. Um, so much of the team ran through what he did and we saw, you know, how much the team missed that against Miami in the playoffs. Um, but just given that TJ plays the more, uh, important position in today's NBA, I mean, I think TJ probably gets the same deal or slightly above. Yeah. Um, like, I mean, I don't think he's a, a max player of course, but I mean, he's like a guy probably an echelon underneath that. Um, I think I'd maybe look at the deal that DeMar DeRozan last got with the Spurs. And that's probably what we'd look at for TJ. Um, Cause I mean, he was, uh, or hold on. I might be looking at it wrong. I got to look up the deal, but um, I think he's on like a, th- I'm pretty sure DeRozan was closer to a three for 60, but I think like that's where TJ would probably be around like a three for 60 or three for 65, 66, something like that right now. Yeah. Um, which again, like you're mentioning with how the team's at, I mean, that's, 
if you factor in where he's at right now, well, that, then you're an extra 10 million up on the cap. Um, and that, that makes it harder to have the bench rotation. And I think it's something I'm looking at as well. Um, and something I'm trying to write on and we'll hopefully have out next week. Cause I'm doing a bunch of draft stuff next week. Um, I just think this team really has to hit it. It sounds, you know, really arbitrary to talk about a 54th pick because you look at Alize Johnson was around there, uh, not last year, but the year before. Um, and that's kind of what you look at. Like this, this 54th pick has to be somebody who's going to factor in the rotation. And you look at what's going to happen with the second round pick next year and the first round pick next year. You need those to translate into players who can contribute on rookie scale deals because that's, I mean, that's the, the biggest competitive advantage on a rotation when you're already kind of capped out is having guys who you can draft that, that can compete coming in or at least within a year or two, they're starting to provide real competent minutes. Yeah, and that's one thing, like, I think the Pacers hope Nate Bjorkman can do with, with you know, bringing him in because we know Goga is a guy they want to utilize. Aaron Holiday still has yet to, you know, really showcase everything that he can do. I think that maybe Sumner is a guy that could get some rotation minutes as well, but it all just depends on what they do in the drafts. And, you know, we talk about them having the 54th overall pick, but they also have and I've been on this, so I'm sorry I keep repeating myself, but they have nine second-round draft picks over the next six years. I think they can move one or two of those, maybe move up in this draft. And to me, getting a second-round pick is kind of enticing um, because you don't have to pay them as much on the salary. And I think that if you can find somebody, especially in this draft, because I I know this draft is not good at the top, but it's very deep. And there are a lot of good role players in this draft. Yeah. So I really don't like have a problem with them moving up early in the second round, uh, trying to figure something out. You know what I mean? Like give a couple yeah. picks, kind of like the, the Heat did last year when they traded three second round picks for the Pacers, like uh, second pick in the second round, I think 32 overall. So that's kind of something I look at when I'm, when I'm building, when I'm trying to build this roster in my mind and look at everything, because I talked with Ken about it on Monday and he was like, I think TJ Warren's going to go if you keep both Turner and Oladipo. And I'm like, I just don't, I don't think that's the case. I think Warren is someone they really value. And they're oh, gonna... I'd say Warren is probably the most untouchable player on the roster right now. Yeah. I, I like, would say he's it's the Sabonis. hardest kind of player to get. No, I mean like Sabonis as good as Domas is, and he is the best player. I mean, TJ will be the most hard player to replace. I think um, yeah. just in terms of his skill set. I mean, the kind of player he is. And I'm also, I apologize. My dog is being I obnoxious hear in the background. Moose <laughs> is being very obnoxious in the background. And also I was wrong on the DeRozan contract. He was like almost a max. He was like 27 and a half million for five yeah, okay. years. So that's not TJ's deal, but like somewhere around there, probably 22, I think a year yeah. is, is around him. But yeah. Yeah. What, what's Moose crying about over there? <laughs> <laughs> because I am not petting him. He is laying it on, on his bed behind me, just staring at me because I'm not petting him right now. It's, oh, uh, man. Get a husky, they said. Uh, yeah. yeah. Well, thankfully, my dog was just letting me pet him while I was talking, so it all worked out. But yeah, so I mean, going back to this whole thing though, real quick, I just want to wrap this segment up. But it's like you look at the future of this the salary and what's going forward, and I'm just not sure what to expect. I mean, because we don't know how much Oladipo is going to want, but I'm basing it off of around twenty five, twenty six million a year. I mean, if you could somehow flip Turner or Lamb or somebody off, I mean, Turner's not, contract is not bad at all. It's only $18 million for the next three years, so it's not a bad contract. I mean, if you can flip him to a team that really could use him and get a nice pick or a player in return, like or a combination of both maybe, I, I think that that might make sense. Somebody that's a little bit cheaper, you know, someone that could absorb a little bit more contract, get you a little bit of wiggle room there, 
and you can also get a pick to, to draft somebody on a rookie scale contract. I think that that might be the way to go for the Pacers. And I think that that's something they're going to factor into what they decide to do with Turner, because it's, it's just a lot of money to pay your, your two centers around $38 million come 22, 23. Like if you're, if you're playing, you know, with two bigs, I mean, it's working. I mean, sure. That's fine because that's a max contract for two players, but at the same time, if it's not working out great, I think that, you know, going that alternate route makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So, I mean, I talked about it with Caitlin on, on the IC pod. Um, I mean, Nate Bjorkren has, has talked about in interviews, the idea of staggering Sabonis and Turner, uh, maybe even more than they had been this year. Um, and well, that's nice. Obviously the idea would be, okay, you have two, you're paying two, two guys who are starter level, maybe even above starter level. I mean, like above average starters, um, at the five. So you wouldn't technically have to have a backup. Like, obviously you have like a uh, break glass if needed in Goga, but um, the idea there is like, it, it makes sense. But at the same time, that's next year, that's, you know, $37 million committed to two players. And I mean, $35 million. And if, if they're not like closing games together or playing a majority of their time together and they're, or they're not playing their best when they're together, that's a, a massive misutilization of money. Yeah. Um, so I, I agree with you. I think uh, ultimately, I don't know, maybe I'm a little bit too pessimistic about the way things kind of went down this year with how Miles and Domas did play together. And it's unfortunate we didn't get to, get, get to see them play in the bubble. But I really just think that we've seen enough already to know um, shipping out Miles is probably the way to go. And as much as I love Miles as a person and having him as a pacer, um, I agree. I think that there are guys that you can look at around the league and be like, okay, if we can throw together some package center around Miles Turner in order to get back a, a maybe another a wing player or a forward, uh, somebody who who makes sense on this team and can be part of those closing lineups and and making this next you know uh, very good to great Pacers team, I think that's that's got to be the key. No, I, I think you're absolutely right there, Mark. And it's unfortunate that you know like you have two good players that just play the same position. So like, what yeah. do you do about it? You know, I know that, you know, Domas does things better than miles and miles does things better than Domas. You know, it would be great to put them together and, and, and just make them one person. So you can mm-hmm. divide their minutes up properly. Be an all NBA player. Yeah. yeah. You know what I mean? But it's just like, ah, it's just, you got to make a choice. And I mean, Domas, I think overall is going to make about $8.5 million more based on his contract than, uh, than Turner throughout his, you know, tenure here with that extension for both of yep. them. So, I mean, I think that goes to show you who the Pacers value more because who they paid more. And I don't think that they really, like, want to just trade Turner for anything. Like, we saw that trade today that I got dragged for. We talked about that. Yeah, that's not a good return for Turner. But, like, what is a good return for Turner? So, I mean, we were talking about this off air, but I'm just curious mm-hmm. your thoughts. What exactly would you want in a Miles Turner return? Uh, well, I'll say immediately what I don't want. I don't like the idea of a Buddy Heald trade. Um, you know, I, I get the idea of it. He's a – fantastic shooter um i was actually just talking to brendan nunez he's uh runs king's pulse it's the blue wire pod for uh, for the sack kings they're actually really good if you need to keep up on the kings listen to them and writes for the king's herald too which is an independent blog um covering the kings as well um you know and he's talked about buddy and, and how bad of a defender he is he really doesn't do a ton on ball he's really just a shooter and this year he stopped trying to you know fit within that role and try and do more and that's that's a lot of why he ended up on the bench um He's 27 years old. He's going to be making $24.5 million next year, granted on a descending deal. But uh, if Buddy Heald is the highest paid player on this team, 
I, I think that's, that's a problem, you know, and again, it's, it's more about who's on the team, not necessarily in terms of who's getting paid. Um, but I, I don't love his fit. Like he can't really function super well. If him and Malcolm Brogdon are sharing a backcourt and Vic's on the bench or something, they're going to get sliced like by any small guard. Um, I mean, buddy can't defend anyone to be completely honest. Uh, so if you're running a three guard lineup with Vic and, and, and healed and Brogdon, uh, that's, rough as well. I see that having problems. And again, if miles isn't there, there's no one to clean that up in the back. Um, so I'm not a big fan of buddy healed. Um, in terms of like guys that I do like for miles, I mean, I want to hear yours first and then I'll go, I'll go back. But I, I, I did want to get buddy right out of the way. Cause that one has been thrown out into the ether a lot. And I just like, I, I understand why it would make sense for sack and, and in some ways why it might make sense, sense for Indiana. And maybe I overanalyze it, but personally I am not for it. Yeah, I understand, like, you don't want Buddy to be your number one paid player on the team because with that, which we talked about with Matt George on Tuesday, would probably come a little bit of entitlement from Buddy Hield, which might be a bit of a problem if he thinks I'm the highest paid player, I'm the best played, paid player on this team. No, you're not. You're, you're probably like two or three on the, on the total pool if you're, if you're here. But I would say the only reason it makes sense a little bit to trade Turner for Hield is if you're going to get rid of Victor Oladipo as well because – then there's a spot in that shooting guard rotation that you really need filled. And I think a guy that can shoot the ball as well as Buddy did makes a lot of sense, especially for the modern day NBA basketball team. But um, <clears throat> the defense is a bit of a problem. You know, it's, yeah. it's not good from Buddy Hield, And we've heard a lot about how bad he is defensively. So this kind of goes into my thoughts on, well, what are they going to do with Oladipo? So basically today, like it came out in Zach Lowe's, you know, off season, uh, preview that it doesn't really seem like a lot of teams are excited about Oladipo so you're more than likely going to see Oladipo on the Pacers at least till around the trade deadline when rumors could start heating up again but possibly like he could be on the roster for a long time if he signs an extension and he just decides hey my best opportunity to make the most money is here in Indiana so that to me means like what exactly do you want for Turner then so at that point it's like do we want another wing do we want another guy like that can you know uh, undersized like that like I don't think Buddy Hill would be a good fit with Vic and Malcolm now yeah. I, I think one thing that's interesting which I want to ask you about uh, too is the Drew Holiday stuff you know so it's like do I think Drew Holiday makes a lot of sense with Oladipo and Brogdon I think it could work but I also think if you tried to make a deal with Miles and, and some other packages Pacers have for Drew Holiday that could upset Oladipo because you're trading for someone at his position so now you've got to deal with that and I know that probably sounds so stupid, but it's just something that's in the back of my mind. Like, no, you got to be really careful here. If you really, if you really covet re-signing Oladipo and extending him, who you bring in here. So personally to me, it's like everybody hates the Gordon Hayward stuff, but if they could do a sign and trade with Gordon Hayward and get a pick for it, that's something I would be intrigued by. I know the age is a big difference and fans are like, well, Gordon's 30 and you know, Turner's 24. You're giving up, you know, six years, you know, you need more than just Hayward, but it's just like, Hayward provides something that Turner doesn't and that's the ability to be a wing and guard different wings so something like that like I know I'm I'm a big fan of Aaron uh, Aaron Gordon I don't really necessarily think that's a that's a good swap for either team so it's just like if you can get a if you can get a reasonable pick I don't know exactly who would have a pick like I think New Orleans is intriguing with the 13th but maybe you trade um, Turner for the 13th pick and something else besides Drew Holiday 
to kind of balance the roster. Like, let's just say, like, for example, I don't know if they would be, like, let's say the Pelicans are like, we're kind of done with Lonzo Ball, okay? So you go out and get Lonzo in 13th for Turner. Like, is that asking too much for uh, – is, is that asking too much for Turner? Probably so, but I think that's something more towards the lines of what I'm thinking because I can't really relay, like, who's all got picks right now. Yeah, so I have a couple thoughts. I mean, I think um, in looking at the Drew trade, um, like if that were to happen, I personally, I, you know, I've been vocal. I don't think New Orleans should trade Drew. Um, but, you know, I, I'm sure that somebody will come out and make it happen. And it seems like it's gaining a lot of headway. Um, and a lot of people I respect who, who write about the Pelicans and, and, and our beat reporters on the team have, have talked about his uh, potentially wanting out. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I don't really think that's something that I'd, I don't think Vic would be worried about that. I mean, I, I don't, I think all three guys, they're good enough players. You're starting them together and you're finding a way to make it work. Right. So I think ideally, I mean, Drew is a guy who can function really well off ball. He was asked to do a lot on ball this year for new Orleans with Anthony Davis gone for the first time while he's been in new Orleans. Um, so I think he'd be somebody who's willing to take a backseat role and Vic's going to have the ball more. I don't think it's something that you have to really worry about much. Um, I get where you're coming from on that though. And, and, it could be, you know, maybe I could be looking at it wrong, but I, I do personally think that would not be a, a real issue. Okay. Um, I, I just think that there are so many ways you can make those guys work together. That would be pretty beautiful offensive <laughs> basketball, frankly. Yeah. And I'm definitely pioneering for that. Um, in terms of Gordon Hayward, I, so we've talked about this one a lot and I think I would 100% trade for Gordon Hayward if it meant sending Miles Turner um, I think you, I mean, you'd have to attach, you know, Doug McDermott and probably a little bit more in order to make that happen. Um, Unless he depends, does well, well, if he does the sign and trade. Yeah. yeah. But I think miles on his own is definitely not enough to warrant Gordon Hayward back because yes, Gordon Hayward is 30. He'll be 31, uh, probably 15 games into the NBA season. Uh, he just had one of his best seasons ever. Um, I mean, granted he was playing as well, also, granted, but also in a, like, a good way. I mean, he, he was playing as the fourth option, essentially, on that team. He was behind Jalen Brown as an option, behind Kemba, behind Jason Tatum, um, and sometimes behind Marcus Smart. And, I mean, he was putting up really efficient numbers, almost put up a 50-40-90 season, um, plays good defense. I think the biggest thing for him, too, like, you look at Domas and Miles. Well, Domas is obviously – I think he's a borderline all-defense defender – uh, deserved recognition there, not this past season, but the year before, um, before Domas was in the starting lineup. Um, you know, I think, well, well, Miles does a lot of really nice things in rim protection with him and Domas in the, it's just so hard to get out to the weak corners. And I think yeah. we see that every time this team plays Boston now, like I always point back to that final, final game against Boston before the hiatus, they were getting killed from the corners off drives, just pumping goes all the time from, from Gordon Hayward and Jason Tatum, because as good as miles is defensively, I mean, even for him to get out on someone that can put the ball in the deck like that is a lot to ask. And don't even try and ask Domas to do it. Yeah. Um, he's way too slow footed. So I think Gordon just gives you a lot more versatility defensively. And I think we've seen a lot in the league now, especially talking about the Raptors. Like, I mean, they have really good defenders, so it's easier to mask, you know, some of the weaknesses, but just having the versatility and the ability to be mobile on defense is huge now. Um, so I think Gordon provides some of that. He'll be really good. He would probably be the second best passer on this team. That's not Domas. So a perimeter player, I mean, he'd be, he's a better passer than Vic, in my opinion. He's a really good yeah. <laughs> facilitator. Um, and he'd be right, right alongside Malcolm. So I think he provides a nice secondary 
ball handling, obviously a very good shooter. He can do some stuff in isolation, good finisher. I mean, I love it. I think the thing for me is it just depends what you're paying him in years three and four. Um, If, if you offer him like, I mean, he would be, I, I think he's like right around the same level of player that Sabonis is right now. So like a top 40, top 35 player. Um, So, I mean, ideally he's probably, and since he's a wing player, he's going to probably get paid 22 to $25 million a year. Right. Yeah. Um, So I I do, I don't love the idea of having to pay him $25 million when, when he's, you know, 34 years old. Uh, Cause I don't know how well he's going to age. John Corrales did a really good podcast with, with Tony yesterday um, talking about a Gordon Hayward trade. And um, he brought up some really great points about how he doesn't really think that Hayward's injuries are necessarily about being injury prone. It's just about bad injury luck. And I would personally agree with that. Um, But it's, it's still murky to look at. Um, And I I, like the last thing I would kind of say on a Hayward trade, if you have to trade for him on the player option right now, I wouldn't do it. I I just think that's too much to warrant. Um, Like I would not trade miles at his guaranteed money um, along with other guys who are on guaranteed contracts for Gordon Hayward, who could, you know, walk next season. I, I just yeah. don't think that that's worth the risk. Uh, if it's a sign and trade, though, I would 100% do it. I think that it's a gamble that you should take. And same thing with Drew Holiday. Good players are hard to come by in free agency for Indiana. Um, if you can make it happen in trade, then then by all means do it. All right. Well, let's let's just pretend here. So I'll let you be David Griffin and I'll be Kevin Pritchard. So uh, I'm going to call and I'm going to say, hey, hey, David, I, I got a quick question for you. Uh, I see Drew Holiday, according to Sham Sharani, is on, on, the trade, on the trade market. Um, uh, any interest in uh, looking at some of our guys and making a deal? Yeah, send me offers. I'll, uh, I'll listen. Yeah, so uh, I, guess, I guess we could start off. I mean, I've got two centers here on my roster, both really young guys on really fair contracts. Um, well, well, we could discuss maybe a miles for Drew, for Drew uh, Holiday package. You like that? Um, you know, we'd need probably a little bit more, uh, to come with that also, you know, in salary, but also in terms of value, you know, miles is a nice player, but Drew is a borderline all-star player. Um, so I, I don't know if we'd part just for that straight up. Well, you got to think about this though. He's on a, he's on a player option next year. So you could only have one, one year of him left. We got Turner for three years. Um, I, I could throw in probably, uh, Jeremy Lamb to make the, make the contracts match up and we could start there. Uh, you know, I think we'd probably rather have Doug McDermott because he's on an expiring, uh, cheaper deal, and we have a lot of guys coming up that we got to pay over the next two years. Okay, I can I can make that switch. Is that enough for you to get the deal done? Uh, see, all right, you know, it, it's hanging <laughs> up as David Griffin. Like, I think this is what I come to. You know, is that enough to get the deal done? Um, I think it's interesting because you try and really think about it in a team building sense. Like, what is what is New Orleans doing? You know, they have. Obviously, draft picks are important. They have 21 draft picks uh, through 2026 right now, which is a lot, obviously. Man, that's a um, they, they own the Lakers pretty much. So that – and they already have – think of it like this too. So they have Lonzo Ball. His, he's up for extension next year. Zion Williamson in three years up for an extension. Brandon Ingram's getting paid this summer. Jackson Hayes up in three years. Josh Hart gets paid next year. Uh, Nikhil Alexander-Walker in three years. So you look at it, all these guys who are theoretically going to be part of their core, and this is a thing that's going to happen with the Pacers too when everyone else comes off their deals. Um, you know, at what point does, do you stop and think, we, we have, we're, we're at where we're at right now. We either make trades with what we have and, and then pick from there, or we, we start trying to 
transform this team into being a contender. And I think part of that, I just don't see why they should let Drew go. You know, like he's the one real veteran in the room there. I mean, Derek Favors and J.J. Redick, but I mean, Favors is, uh, he might not even be there next year because he's a free agent. Um, like, I, I don't know. I, I think Will Guillory, who writes for The Athletic, wrote a great piece about how Drew Holiday could could do for New Orleans what, what Kyle Lowry did for Toronto and, you know, sticking with them for a while and building up a young team into a real team. Because, um, I mean, Toronto was a poor, like a pretty bad team. Like, I don't know if you remember, but Masai wanted to blow that team up after they traded Rudy Gay. The idea of trading Rudy Gay was because they were going to blow the team up. And then after they traded Rudy Gay, they went on a tear. They played really well. Um, and from there, I mean, they started making the playoffs, never missed it, and they got better every year. Um, I'm not saying that's what's going to happen with New Orleans, but I think at some point, it's just you, when you have good players, you can't just let them go. Like, I, I, as much as I love Miles as a player, and he's a nice theoretical fit in New Orleans, I just think Drew is too good of a player to trade. Um, like, I get it, but... But they want to trade him. That's the thing, Mark. Yeah, I mean, no. If he's on I, well, the market, if he's out there openly on the market and you got teams calling, I mean... I just like if there's other teams calling, okay, like I understand like a lot of people are gonna say, Oh, well, Brooklyn can offer the most because they can offer Karis Levert, which I get I don't that. I think Levert makes sense for them too. But that's what I was gonna like say. Does Karis make sense next to Brandon Ingram? I've heard that argument and it's kinda like not really. But part of me is like, well, they're still so young and they're in a rebuild mode. Maybe they just try and see if it works, and then if not, flip one of them. That's got a maybe some better value. But Levert's a little bit yeah. older than people realize, too. Yeah, he's uh, twenty six right now, right? He'll be yeah. twenty seven during the season. So yeah, um, I mean, like I think if <laughs> I'm the Pels, I mean, this is just, I just like I err towards pessimism, and I think that for the most part, things are not going to work out the way we think. Um, if I'm David Griffin, I probably would take Miles Turner. I've seen what he can do in Indiana, and. I would, you know, if you're a good organization, you trust in your coaching staff to build players into the best that they can be and develop them into the best that they can be. So I think you look at Miles Turner and you say, that's a guy on a manageable deal that we can function around as we extend everyone else off their rookie deals and, and have him backline our defense. So I think I would do it. And yeah. I, I personally think they would take Doug instead of Jeremy just because they already have guys kind of at Jeremy's position and they need the shooting too. So I think – if they did miles for Doug, like that's not the worst. I mean, I think the only, like, I guess there are a couple of teams if they traded really high draft picks, maybe that's enticing. But again, I, like I mentioned earlier about draft picks, I'm just not really sure what new Orleans is thinking with that. Yeah. Like I think my starting offer would be like, let's talk about Turner and lamb because I'd want to get off lamb's contract and set if I could and just see what they said. And then like, maybe go to McDermott because the salaries do match up perfectly. And I feel like they would counter and be like, well, we got other people on the line that are going to give us more would you be willing to part with a future pick or would you be willing to part with Aaron holiday? And I think like, for me, like if they're going to throw Aaron holiday in that deal, I would, I would, pro I would probably ask for the 13th overall pick back because to me, it's like, Aaron's good, but I mean, do we really see him as a starter anytime soon on this roster? Probably not. So it's like, I'm, I'm, I'm just being realistic. Like if you can get a guy that's going to be a, a starter on your roster and can get you another pick back. Like that's what I'd ask for. I don't, I don't know if they do it because I don't know how much they covet picks with how many young guys they already have. But I mean, I think that miles is definitely a little bit closer to, to what they already have. And if they're wanting to get off some money, you know, then I would, then I would consider what I could get. Like if I did a miles and Vic package for like drew and, and maybe Reddick and somebody else or drew and Reddick and like the 13th overall pick, because I'd rather have Reddick for what is it one more year that he has on his contract and a mm -hmm. pick than than to have Vic walk for nothing 
You know what I mean? Like everybody's like, well, it might not be that bad of a deal, but it's like, if you can get a first round pick in this draft, I feel like there are some sleepers in this draft that could be really good role players for a long time. So, I mean, sure. You don't want to trade a role player, two role players for Vic, but like, what are you going to give for him? It's just so hard for me to really gauge the market. And I think the same for Turner because he's a young center that can shoot and block, shoot threes and block shots. Like pretty much what you want to dream up, but centers just aren't valued. Like people are like, I can, I can get Daniel Tice for five million. Why would I want Turner for eighteen? That's my conundrum here, with with trying to figure out what the market is for Turner. Yeah, I mean, I think right now for Turner, I was actually talking about this with somebody else today. I mean, I think Turner to me is worth like a slightly, uh, slightly less valuable wing player, so like still a top one hundred player, um, and like a second round pick. Like, I think that's what I look at for him. Or maybe you are able to get somebody who's an, just a bad fit on their team and they're equal value type player. Because um, I think the, the whole thing with Miles, too, um, I mean, just like it, it, it's difficult because I think it, it's so weird because a lot of times we tend to overrate players um, in our markets. But I think, in a sense, Indiana has like totally, I don't want to say like totally dumped on Miles or anything, but. I think there's a large faction of people who kind of underrate the player Miles is because he was, um, I mean, he's been miscast for the last couple of years, especially this last year. Um, and I just think if he is the true five somewhere and he really gets to operate in those realms and has a much more defined role with, um, frankly, better coaching on the offensive end. I mean, the idea of what Miles can be at the money he's at is worth a lot, in my opinion. I think he's, uh, Daniel Tice is a really nice player, especially at $5 million. He's probably 85% of what Miles Turner gives you, sometimes more than that. Um, but the idea is when if Miles Turner is at his best, and we've seen Miles Turner at his best, he's a game changer. Um, he's not going to be an all-star player unless something you know drastic happens, but I don't really think that's in the cards for him. But in terms of what he does on defense and when he's uh, actualized in his role on offense, then, yeah, I mean, he's like an all-star role player. Yeah, well, I – I said this with Kent because I really feel this in my, in my evaluation of this team. I feel like most of the big guys that have been part of this Pacers team, for the most part, they've not really gotten much better outside of Sabonis. And, you know, I think Domas, the only reason he got a lot better was because he got a lot more minutes. And with that, you know, with playing time comes more opportunities for him to grow as a player. I mean, I look at Turner and I see a guy that when he was drafted – I mean, his second year, he put up 30 points and 16 rebounds in the opening night, you know, against the Mavericks. And everyone's thinking, oh, this guy's about to be a stud. And then he goes back to like 12.6 rebounds on average, which is pretty underwhelming for, you know, an 11th overall pick, someone that you thought yeah. was going to be your best um, player in a couple of years. But that's... Well, I think in fairness, though, I mean, that second year, that team was bad. He was well, the no, second... no, 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 it was. It was really That's, bad. He was, like, the second-best player on that team, and he was, like, 19 years old. That was that was an atrocious roster because that's uh, – uh, yeah, that's Paul's last year, and uh, they play the Raptors and get, you know, just totally shellacked in the last game by the refs. Um, well, I think it was the Cavs was Paul's last year when they got oh, swept. Oh, wait, yes. Points. Okay, I'm thinking yeah. it was Miles' first year when they played the Raps. That was but, a yeah, fun series. That went seven games. That was a really fun series. Yeah, that was the last fun series. Well, I guess the Cavs series was really fun. I shouldn't take away that one. But, like, it's just like to me, like, you know, Thad Young was good when he was here, but was he much better here than he was other places? Uh, I think so. I mean, like, to he an, was like, really good in defensively. Philly. He was good in yeah. Philly, but, I mean, he, become a, he became a – he should have been all defense once or twice in Indiana. Yeah. Uh, but like, I mean, he was good enough where he should have been. Um, but I think like, I do think that guys become better defenders here. Um, yeah. I agree. It's that. just, 
Yeah, offensively, I mean, I guess... they don't. They don't grow offensively. That's I mean, and that's part of the problem with Vogel and McMillan is their offense has just been bad. Like TJ Leaf ha- has regressed. Alize Johnson has never seen the floor. Goga Batadze can't see the floor. Um, I mean, what other backup? I mean, Kyle O'Quinn was worse here than he was when he was with New York, and that's probably just opportunity. But it's just like anytime I feel like the Pacers have a big man the last couple of years, like outside of Domas, and I feel like Miles, like I think you said it, like he's kind of been held back a little bit. So that's kind of where my concern is, just because he's, he's got the talent, but he just hasn't produced. And it's like to me, like I just look at the you know sample size of all the bigs we've had, and one we've had bad bigs, and two. They haven't developed. They haven't grown like we've seen our wings do in TJ Warren, Boyan Bogdanovich, Victor Oladipo, that kind of thing. Yeah, no, I agree. I think uh, part of it is on miles too, though. Um, no, it is. Was, it is. Yeah, no, definitely. And I, I didn't think you were not saying that, but I think it's uh, yeah, it's a good, it's a good thing to bring up, but uh, I'm not really sure. Regardless, <laughs> I think um, he has good value. I think he's, he's worth definitely more than, uh, than we saw in that, uh, in that, trade from the locked on mass crew absolutely well i know you got to get out of here because you are a podcasting machine so <laughs> I try my maybe best. maybe we can finish up part two of this conversation sunday um that'll be we, great we can do that maybe so fans if you're looking forward to a podcast this week we'll go ahead and do one on uh sunday night me and mark will have a part two for you but uh you guys can follow mark at m schindler mba i'm at alex golden mba and we will talk to y'all in a couple of days peace out All right, well, I'm actually back here real quick to talk about some Indiana Pacers coaching news. They have hired assistant coach Greg Foster, which surprisingly was actually on the 2002 Indiana Pacers preseason roster. Now, he did not make the official cut. As we know, that team was pretty good, but he was on that team in the preseason. So Greg Foster has been coaching since 2014, or excuse me, 2013 under Brett Brown, where he was a player development coach in Philadelphia. And then after that, He left to go be with Jason Kidd in Milwaukee. He was there the entire time that Kidd was there before getting fired in 2018. And it's it's known that him and Jason Kidd are very, very good friends. So that's interesting. And then after that tenure with Jason Kidd and the Milwaukee Bucks, Greg Foster went on to be part of Lloyd Pierce's staff from 2018 to 2020. And so we don't really have a lot of information on on Greg Foster. Um, I know a lot of Pacer fans were disappointed to see it not be Jeff Foster, but I don't think Jeff Foster has any interest in coaching. But anyway, Greg Foster, when he was hired with uh, Melvin Hunt, Chris Gent, and Marlon Garnett, as well as Matt Hill um, with Lloyd Pierce's coaching staff, Lloyd Pierce had this to say. He said, when we set out to assemble a staff, we were looking for A-plus talent and A-plus people. Uh, and that speaks to the individual we added, said Pierce. These coaches embody what we're looking for in terms of character and credibility and will help us grow our program and our organization. They'll be great teachers and mentors for the players they'll be working with and great representatives for the Hawks. So that's interesting because Nate McMillan just got hired by the Hawks. Now the Pacers get Greg Foster. So see a little bit of a sign and trade there uh, <laughs> with McMillan. So it's, it's and Greg Foster. It's kind of funny, not really, but it's just ironic how that all works out. But yeah, so the Pacers get Greg Foster. I'm not sure if Danny Manning is officially a part of the staff, but Greg Foster is a former big man who played in the league for about 13 years, I believe. Um, 
But Greg Foster, don't know much about him, but I'm interested to see what he does. Player development, something the Pacers really need to work on with their young big guys. We actually just talked about that with Mark, and maybe he'll help out in that department. I think that guys like Gogo Batadze and maybe if he stays on the roster, T.G. Leaf and Alizé Johnson, those kind of guys could benefit from a former big man in the NBA, similar to Popeye Jones, uh, just a different voice. Maybe he can teach him a little, some different things, but who knows. But that's that. That's the news. Don't have too much to say about it, but... Anyway, just want to let you guys know about that. And me and Mark, like I said earlier, will be back on Sunday to finish this conversation. Hope you guys enjoyed it. We will talk to you all later. Peace out, Pacer Nation. Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G. Because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from Metrics second half 2020 U.S. reported three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement.